Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 24th day of May, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Now, let me bring a couple things up about what I want to talk today. I'm not. I'm. There's not going to be any. Uh, American League East bias in today's show, as we talked with Todd Radom on yesterday's show, we talked about the Red Sox. I'm covering some other teams today because I have some real thoughts about, believe it or not, there have been big games played, and several big games were played uh, on the baseball docket this uh, this evening, and I really don't think it's too early to say that. This upcoming weekend will be Memorial Day weekend, and I believe that Memorial Day weekend is really the first checkpoint. That's really the first point where you take a look and say, okay, what are we? Because, and again, for those of you who listen to the show all the time, I'm, I'm hitting some points that are, this is not the first time I've hit some of these points, but it's a, roughly the first third of the season will be done at Memorial Day. And you take a look around, it's like, okay, are we a contender or are we not? And if we are, what do we have to do? And if we're not, should we start chucking bodies overboard? Now, a big game was played today, or was played on Monday. I'm recording this Monday night. I'm pulling the curtain back a little bit. And the Mets demolished the Washington Nationals and pulled to within half a game, tied in the loss column of the Washington Nationals. Now, Sully, it's so early in the season. It's only the first third of the season. How could it be a big game? I'll tell you how it's going to be a big game. Because chances are the Mets and the Nationals are going to be going head-to-head for this National League East title. And these games mean just as much now as they do later. These are games you don't have to make up. Especially when a win, you you need victory. And if you eventually, when a magic number comes about, you chop it down with a your team winning and the team that you're pursuing or trying to put in the dust losing. Well, these are head-to-head matchups, you know. And and these are games. If the Mets want to repeat as nationally, at least National League East division champs, or even National League champs. They have to win these games. Now, there's going to be a lot of Washington games played. In fact, I mean, I, they they play Washington uh, September 12th, 13th, and 14th, and September's 2, 3, and 4. Those are going to be wild, maniacal games. But these are the games the Mets don't have to make up. Now, if you take a look at the standings right now, as I'm recording this in the National League East, you have the Nats, who are still in first place by half a game. You have the Phillies, who lost to the Tigers 5-4. Then you have the Marlins, who beat their 
cross-state, I don't know if they're rivals, the Rays, 7-6, and Ichiro Suzuki. I haven't figured out who won baseball, but there's a real possibility that Ichiro Suzuki will, as he got another four hits and is inching closer to 3,000. The interesting thing about it at this point, the three-and-a-half games separate the Nationals from the Marlins. Just uh, three games in the loss column separate the Nationals and the Marlins, first place to fourth place. They have four teams who are all above 500 as we're approaching the one-third mark of the season. National League Central has three teams, the exact three teams you expect to be over 500, Cubs, Pirates, and Cardinals. The National League West, American League West only has two teams above 500, the Mariners and the Rangers. Four teams, uh, no, three teams in the AL Central are above 500. Two teams in the AL East are above 500. Only one division has four teams above 500 at this point. That's the National League East. And the Nats are a 600 team, and the Mets are just behind that. Now, the question is, is the National League East the best and strongest division in baseball, if you just look by win-loss record, the fact that they have you know, four of the five teams are above 500, you'd say, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, this is the strongest division in baseball. But how much of it is because the Atlanta Braves are also in that division? The Mets are 5-1 and one against the Braves. The Nats are 6-0. and oh. In 12 games that the Braves have played, the Nationals and the Mets, they've won a grand total of one. Now, I found it quite surprising that their record against the Marlins is 3-0 and and their record against the Phillies is 3-3. and So I went in with the hypothesis of, hey, the reason why the National League East looks so strong is because the Phillies and the Marlins have beaten the snot out of the Atlanta Braves. But the fact that the Phillies that the Phillies and Marlins combined record against the Atlanta Braves is three and six, there goes that theory. I mean you could throw that theory right into the garbage heap. So you know, is the NL East a super strong division at this point? Well, I think the Phillies are doing this through smoke and mirrors. As of this recording, the Phillies have a record of 25 and 20. They're five games above 500, but they've been outscored to the point where their record, if you just went by the Pythagorean win-loss, they should be 18 and 26. They've been outscored by enough runs that they, you know, this is, look at, I, I like what the Phillies are doing. I think it's a bit of an aberration. I think eventually they'll come back to earth. I think they'll be probably closer to 500 than people thought they were. I thought they were going to be like a 90-loss team again. But the Marlins are also interesting because they also have been outscored at this point. And you take a look at their club. I mean, they're getting a terrible season out of Giancarlo Stanton. Terrible. And they have D. Gordon suspended. I mean, Ichiro Suzuki's you know, great stretch that he's had, has essentially taken Giancarlo Stanton off the hook for the time being. But, again, I mean, other than Jose Fernandez, 
their starting pitching is, you know, okay, nothing spectacular. I think these teams, you take a look at, this is one of the points when I say the first checkpoint, is teams like the Marlins and the Phillies have to take a good long look in the mirror and say, all right, can we keep this up? Every once in a while you will see a team that has essentially been outscored make it to the postseason. The Baltimore Orioles did in 2012. The Arizona Diamondbacks did and got all the way to the National League Championship Series in 2007. Every once in a while you can have a team that, you know, by all accounts and by all statistical analysis should have a losing record stumble and bumble their way to the postseason. Now, what makes it rough for a team like Philadelphia and Miami, despite the fact that they're only, you know, two games back in the lost column, three games back in the lost column, whatever, what makes it especially difficult is the level of play in the National League. You see the Dodgers have a very high level of play, even though they're hovering around 500 right now. Does anybody believe the Dodgers are going to finish 500? Even if they do, The Pirates are going to go on a big hot streak. The Cardinals are going to go on a big hot streak. The Mets and the Nationals have more talent. So the possibility of an upstart team winning the any any seat at the National League postseason is so remote that a team like the Phillies or the Marlins are going to have to look at this checkpoint and say, man, it, it's tempting to kind of go for it and try to patch up what, you, what holes you may have on the team. But there's so much good quality in the National League. Like As I've said before, Washington, Mets, Cubs, Pirates, Cardinals, Dodgers, Giants. Two of those teams are missing the postseason this year. Two of those teams will not be participating, even as a wild card entrant. And when you consider the talent on those teams, you have two clubs that have been winning with mirrors and smoke and little gum and some string, and with a lot of games against the Atlanta Braves. You have to take a good long look in the mirror. Can you make this be a positive thing, having a winning season, you know, going for a winning season, going for a big improvement, and building towards 2017? Can you be okay with that? Can you be okay with that? Of course, at this point last year, I was saying this same sort of condescending thing to the Astros, but I'll get to the, there's a major difference there that I'll get to in a moment. We went into this year knowing who was going to be good in the National League, and so far, very little from the, the script has changed, except the Dodgers having, you know, not getting off to the great start and being around 500. The Phillies and the Marlins could, I believe, can finish this season above 500. And that probably won't be enough. So you got to take a good long look at the mirror. Who are we? What are we? What would be the smart thing to do? What would be the stupid thing to do? I think the stupid thing to do 
would be to trade anyone under the age of 25 for anyone over the age of 25, no matter how tempting it is for those teams. Both teams are putting together something kind of cool. And the one kind of trade that I would think would be applicable for the Marlins or the Phillies would be a trade that was similar to what the uh, Texas Rangers did last year, and that was acquiring Cole Hamels, acquiring a player who will be signed for not only this year but the year afterwards. Now, as it turned out, Hamels helped the Rangers win the division. But that kind of deal, which is like, okay, this is like their big offseason pickup a year ahead of time. But I don't see that happening right now. Now, the interesting thing is that a team like the Mets should be taking a good long look at making a deal. They're going to lose Lucas Duda for I don't know how long, maybe a couple of months. And if I were the Mets, the Mets are at a checkpoint right now where we could say, okay, we're an elite team. We're an elite team. They've had a couple of bumps and bruises, but they're on a four-game winning streak. If they win today, the 24th, they'll be in first place by themselves, and they are the team that we're expecting. They're going to get big hits from Cespedes. They'll get some hits from Wright. They'll get some hits from Walker. They'll get some good pitching. And just think of this. They're doing all this with a horrific Matt Harvey start. If Harvey straightens himself out and becomes adequate, not stud, adequate, or winds up doing what happened with Tim Lincecum, because remember, Lincecum was a Cy Young contender year in and year out, and suddenly, to the surprise of everyone, became ineffective in 2012, but somehow found a way in the bullpen and helped the Giants win the World Series, they may find a role for him and one that could help build his confidence. Either way, the Mets don't have to ask the big soul-searching questions. They are one of the elite teams. They are one of the teams that wouldn't stun you if they go all the way. But man, oh man, they need to fill first base. They can't have a parade of young doofuses playing first base. Heard that song last year, and it stunk. And then they wound up acquiring major leaguers to play, and look at that, they make it to the World Series. Now, part of the problem is, if you're looking around, I mean, you're not going to make a trade for Joey Votto, and you're not going to make a trade for Joe Maurer, because those two are, they're both signed to 48-year deals. And it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be very smart. And chances are the Braves aren't going to trade with the Mets for Freddie Freeman, A, because they're the moronic, you don't want to trade within your division. Why not? What if it's the best deal? But also, it may behoove the Braves to keep one major leaguer on the payroll. Call me crazy. But the problem with trying to make a deal with a team like the Braves, like the Brewers, like the Reds, like the Padres, is they stink. Those teams are out of it already. And they're probably, when you have a team that's that bad, there's not going to be a lot of, of, you know, great pieces on the vine. You know, so, I mean, sure, you could maybe try to swing a deal for Nick Markakis or something like that to play first, but Nick Markakis isn't really a first baseman. 
But they have to find a solution. And they have to do it pretty quickly. They don't want to have a hole in there. You want to take advantage and at least be able to say, who's our first baseman? Oh, here's a major leaguer playing. Gut check time. It's easier in the National League. In the, in the American League, it's super hard. You know, there's at this point, really, only the Twins, even with the Astros on this losing streak and playing sub-400 ball, there's so much talent on that team. Would it stun anyone if they turn around and won seven in a row? Wouldn't stun me. Wouldn't stun me in the least. Now, could the Twins turn around and trade Joe Maurer to someone? Maybe. But again, that contract is prohibitive. Absolutely prohibitive. You know, I would have said Josh Reddick would be a great case for someone to be dealt, but he's hurt. So, you know, the, you're going to see some movement of some players, but who? And if I, if I were a team that had a valuable trade chip, I would deal it now because they're a hell of a lot more valuable. But the Mets got to find out something. Now, in the American League, big game. Kind of a worst-case scenario happened today in the American League Central for some of the uh, surprising and upstart teams. Now, the Detroit Tigers won their game, and they've clawed all the way back to 500, and good for them. Now, the other, the, the big doubleheader was between the White Sox and the Indians. And as it turned out, the White Sox put up a lot of runs in game one, won that one 7-6, and then the second game, the bats were dead for the White Sox, and they wound up losing to the Indians, and uh, five to one. And one game in the loss column uh, separates the Indians and the White Sox at this point as a two and a half game spread. Now, there's a reason why that this split is kind of a scary thing for the American League Central. And that is the Kansas City Royals. Now, the Royals have gotten off to a disappointing start. There's no getting around the fact they're off to a disappointing start. But they've hung around. And as I'm recording this, they're beating the Twins. And they are playing, you know, they're playing the dreadful Twins right now. And if the White Sox and the Indians can't get out of each other's way, essentially then it's going to allow the Kansas City Royals to get back into this, to brush off what was a pretty you know, subpar start for the defending world champs. And it would not surprise me that if the White Sox and the Indians don't get on a big winning streak of their own, that we can look up at the All-Star break and the Royals could wind up having a two- or three-game lead, even with some of the injuries that they had. I think the Royals' depth and the fact that no team in the AL Central has picked that up and put it under their arm and ran away with it, as the White Sox had a chance to do, then they went on a little bit of a stumble. I think the White Sox needed to win two, you know, both ends of this doubleheader and sort of put their, their flag in the ground there. Instead, that hasn't happened. Again, there's so much baseball we played, it's a little ridiculous to be talking like this, except that it's not. A team like the White Sox, a team like the Indians are exactly the kind of teams that could go on a nice streak 
and hold on to this uh, a lead in the AL Central, or they can allow the two-time defending American League champs and the defending world champs to build up their confidence and let everyone in the dust. Now, look, at I'm not a big one for proposing trades, but I think the White Sox need to do something. I think the I, I think the Indians need to, right now, while I'm saying this sentence, they need to acquire someone in their bullpen because I don't trust their bullpen, and they need to go out and find some hitter. I don't care who. Maybe it's Ichiro. Maybe, someone, maybe get someone to spark their offense because I don't trust their offense. But the interesting thing about the White Sox, to me, I think they're a very interesting team. And I think there's a player that fits their team and what they could use like a glove. Now, look it. There are holes in their lineup. Now, Melky Cabrera's off to a very good start. Eaton's off to a pretty good start. Um, you know, they're, they're not overwhelming, but I think that the power supplied by uh, Todd Frazier, don't look at his batting average. He has a tremendous OPS. And I think that you'll see Abreu produce. I think you'll see eventually Austin Jackson produce. I'm fine with the White Sox lineup, and I'm pretty good with their with their bullpen. I think their bullpen will do fine. I think when you take a look at the fact that they have the man who I think should win the Cy Young at this point, who's Chris Sale. I think Carlos, uh, not sorry, Carlos Rodon, has uh, pitched okay. Jose Quintana has been the second best pitcher in the AL, probably behind Sale. Matt Latos has pitched well. Now, with the top two pitchers in the American League, in Sale and Quintana at this point, and, you know, third and fourth stars are okay, it may sound bizarre what I'm going to say. I think the White Sox should trade for James Shields. James Shields is going to be available because the Padres are going to have to do something. Now, in James Shields, you're not going to get an ace. He's not an ace. But he's always been that kind of a pitcher that you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get, you're going to about seven innings a start. You're going to get 200-some-odd innings a year. You're going to get a decent ERA. The bullpen's not going to blow their arms out when he's pitching. He may let up too many home runs. But he'll pitch well enough to win and well enough to keep a winning streak alive. Now, when you have Sale and Quintana, why am I saying they should get Shields? I'll tell you exactly why. Because you have Sale. Sale is having an unbelievable year. Quintana having an unbelievable year. Rondon and Latos. Rondon is a super talented pitcher. Could be an ace eventually. Latos, we know, has talent, has had ups and downs, is off to a decent start. All that being said, you throw in one more amazing inning eater, what do you have? You have five pitchers. You could have five starting pitchers, with all due respect to Miguel Gonzalez and anyone else who they have as their number five starter. You get five pitchers who you hand the ball to and say, hey, I think we have a shot of winning. In this American League, which is filled with parity, filled with teams that are, you know, there is no super team. The one team that I thought had a chance of being a super team were the Royals, and the Royals 
are hovering around 500 right now, but kind of like lurking in the weeds as if they have one big winning streak away from busting loose. If every day you put a pitcher up there who can go six, seven innings and keep your team in the game, you aren't going to go on any losing streaks. You aren't going to be in a position where you're like, oh, man, we, we, you know, we, who are we going to turn to? If you do that where Latos and Radon are your fourth and fifth starters, then the White Sox are going to be in a position where they may be able to hold on to first place and go to the next point of the season, which is the July trade deadline, with a good team. But it's important, I think, for the White Sox to make a move like that now. Before or around Memorial Day, where you have the first third of the season, White Sox are in first place, doing very well. You can do the next third of the season with what I'm saying, where every day you're confident in your starting pitching staff. Every day, it's not just waiting for Sale and Quintana, that you can build upon that in a real positive manner. And quite frankly, they're better off having two-thirds of the season like that instead of one-third of the season like that. There's a checkpoint for the White Sox. I picked the White Sox to win the 2015 pennant because I thought they were loaded with talent. I was wrong. They had a terrible season. This year, they're having the type of season that I thought they were going to have last year. So think long and hard about it, White Sox. That pitching depth... The pitching depth may not be enough to get you all the way through in October to the World Series, but it may get you to October. And think about this, White Sox fans. Drool about this concept. Imagine a regular season where all the attention is on the Cubs. Cubs this, Cubs that, Cubs this, they're destined. They've already booked the damn parade. And you can swipe it from them with pitching depth. You can swipe it from them with always throwing a good pitcher on the mound. And just imagine Game 7 of the World Series, an all-Chicago World Series. They throw Arietta, and the White Sox throw Sale. I'm telling you right here and now, it's worth doing. Make the move now and steal the summer for the Sox. Ah, You'd think I grew up in the south side of Chicago. Hey, go to MLB Reports to check out the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, Twitter, on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Looking at the checkpoints. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 24th day of May 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.